Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing. Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Carl Sergio. But before we jump into this, I want to read to you part of the introduction that I did to bring Carl in on Context and Clarity Live. So here goes. Our guest today is an architect, a leader, and a mentor. He volunteers in both the NOMA Project Pipeline Program and the ACE Mentorship Program. He started mentorship programs at the University of Illinois at Chicago, the Illinois Institute of Technology, and the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Now, he's pioneering Nexus, a virtual national mentorship program for emerging professionals. And he's a co-director of AIA Chicago's Bridge Mentorship Program. Now, that's a lot. 
we've been waiting a long time to spend a week of context and clarity conversations on mentors and mentoring or mentorship. We've been looking for the right person to be our context and clarity live guest. After that introduction, I'm pretty sure that you'll agree that Carl Sergio is that right person. We wandered all over the mentorship map with Carl, and we talked about everything from what mentorship is to what happens when people don't want to be mentors to easy, not scary tips for finding mentors. Catherine is at Fiddle Camp this week, so Mandy Freeland reprised her role as guest host to join me for both the conversation with Carl Sergio and backstage afterward. Mandy is an architect and firm owner in Bakersfield, California. She's also the VP of the Academy for Emerging Professionals for AIA California. So Mandy has a particular interest in this week's discussions about mentorship. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Mandy and I talk about our conversation with Carl Sergio, Mentor to Mentors. I don't know who else I could have invited to join us on Context and Clarity Live besides Carl Sergio, where I would have had an intro like that with so much depth and breadth to to mentorship. Uh, he's he's definitely the right guy to have in this conversation. I enjoyed it, as Mandy and I just said right before we hit record here. And I say this, I say this fairly often. This conversation could have gone, I would have been very happy if this conversation had gone a couple of hours. There's so much there. So Mandy, welcome backstage. Thanks for joining me. what did you think about this conversation? I agree with you. It was needed. I feel like uh, mentorship brings us back to the idea of apprenticeship in our profession and uh, just the passing down of the baton, you know, the way that the master artists did with the apprentice artists, the way that we do with architecture, it it brings it back and it makes it, I mean, this profession is challenging in many ways and um, mentorship just brings it, you know, makes it a little more digestible, a little easier. Um, and and I, I can't, I can't uh, support mentorship enough. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad to see um, Carl taking this on. I love to see his passion for creating programs for mentorship and encouraging others um, to participate in mentorship, either as a mentee or a mentor. And um, kind of just also the way that he makes it not scary. It's not, it's not that scary. It's not uh, an elaborate five-year commitment kind of a you're responsible for the next generation. It's all on your shoulders kind of a thing. It's really, I mean, he really brought it down to earth with uh, making it casual, ca casual conversations and just, you know, networking and, and uh, having conversations and, you know, it's just starting out that way, just really organically. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent point. And I think, um, you know, I, I gave an example earlier in the week. I just sort of made something up where I said, you know, we were talking about what is mentorship at the time, I think. And I said, well, you know, I could see a scenario where I could say, you know, this is what 
I want to achieve. This is where I am. This is what I want to do. And then I see somebody else, you know, somebody that's maybe five years or 10 years ahead of me or, or, you know, how, whatever the metrics are for judging their success. And I see them and I, and reach out to them and say, Hey, listen, this is where I am. And I see where you are. And I want to figure out, you know, I want to know how to get there. I want to know how to do that. Um, I think I've got a lot to learn from you. Would you be my mentor? And, you know, and I, I just, I just made that up as an example. And I think it was Chris Novelli said, yeah, I don't think I would ever have that conversation. That seems very scary, you know, uncomfortable, whatever, to have that conversation. And, you know, and when he said that, I thought, yeah, that, that is, you know, I'm making this up off the top of my head. And I don't know if I would ever have, to be honest, if I would ever have that exact conversation. And so I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm, I love Carl's approach. I love what he's talking about. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be, you know, reaching out to someone who has no idea who you are potentially, I guess, you know, in my made up scenario there. Um, so I think he's exactly right. And, you know, you, you just made that the, uh, uh, the comment about, uh, apprenticeship. And we were talking about that after we hit stop, after we weren't live anymore, when we were still talking to Carl and you were, you were talking about it then. And I started to think, you know, obviously there are firms that are better at this than others, you know, and that, that, that includes, you know, the apprenticeship, the training, you know, there are lot, lots of different layers to this, of course. But I was, I was thinking about it and I, I wondered, you know, is, is this a systemic problem inside the profession? And if so, where did we go wrong? Because I know, you know, you think all the way back to Frank Lloyd Wright and, and others that, that was the profession, right? That's, that's where, how it began, how, how architects began. And I, I thought, well, man, I've got to really be careful because you know, we, we talk about, I talk about the business of architecture all the time. I mean, that's, that is a hundred percent my focus. Is that where it went wrong? Is the focus on the business side where it went wrong? You know, are the firms that aren't doing it right, the architects that aren't doing it right, the ones that don't want to volunteer or whatever, is it because they're so focused on squeezing the dollar out of whatever their fee is? Is that the place that it's gone off the rails or is it something else? I don't know, but that's, that's what's popped into my head when you were saying that. I can see that definitely. And when you say that, I know we've said this before, when we've had conversations, the business mentality of sort of the get through this month, get through the next three months, you know, scraping by doing your best. Get this project out the door so I can invoice. Which is really a real a real issue with small firms, definitely with any firm, I'm sure. I think it needs to be intentional. I think integrating, when we talk about integrating culture, apprenticeship, creativity, open door conversations, you know, those kinds of things in firms, it has to be done with intention. And this is, this is just one more aspect of it, teaching and intentionally teaching and, um, and bringing up the next generation through the profession instead of, instead of, I mean, it's just a business mindset instead of hiring the cog that does this particular task and then hiring the next cog that does this particular task. 
working like a machine. I mean, that is a business mentality, definitely. But I'd like to see it not be so much that and be more about the people working in the profession, serving the people that use the buildings that we create. It's there's so much humanity in what we do that um, just just bringing it back down to, hey, we're we're people we want to do our job well. And and there's always the case. And I know we've said this before. There's always the business case to empower people and to encourage people to support the people that do the work that makes the project better, makes money, makes more money. I mean, it's a it's a sort of a business mentality. Um, Efficiency can work for you instead of you know, just things like that. But apprenticeship is definitely one of those things. And and in that inherently is mentorship, right? Apprenticeship and mentorship are side by side. You know, you, you're saying that and it reminds me that earlier this week, Jake Flitton brought up this idea of, um, or, or he was talking about how his parents had instilled a growth mindset in him. And then that's now what he's trying to pass on to his kids. And I, I think that's, I think that's part of what you're talking about as well as, you know, if, if the way that I think about it is if you have a firm leader, small or not, that has a growth mindset, of course, they're wanting to be successful. Uh, again, there are a lot of metrics to that, but they're, they want to be financially successful. They want their firm to be financially successful, but they're also looking at a bigger picture and that intentionality, uh, that, in, you know, that word intention comes up again. I think that's part of it, right? Okay, if I'm intentional about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, if I have this growth mindset, I'm looking at more than just the bottom line. I'm looking at the sustainability of the firm, sustainability in general, probably. Um, and I'm I'm looking at the bigger picture of, you know, how does this benefit, looking at it in multiple directions, how, how does this benefit the people that work with me for me, if there are any, maybe I'm a sole practitioner. Uh, but how does this also benefit the profession? And I, I think that's, I think that's something that we overlook a lot. Is you know we get, like you said, we get stuck in that. You know, this project, the next project, this month, next week, three months, whatever. You know, what about three years? What about the profession, you know, six years from now? Um, we're really we're really talking about a much bigger picture thing here. And Carl Carl certainly is as he's looking around and he's he mentioned Chicago and and um the great mentors that they have in their city. I'm a little bit biased about that, having lived in Chicago for twenty years. Chicago's a great city. Um and there are great architects and great firms there, but there are also a lot of great architects in a lot of places. And, uh, I, I think that's the takeaway too, is, you know, look around, you know, what, what's around you, um, who's around you, I guess is a better way to say that in early January on context and clarity live, we're going to have Ken Coleman as a guest who wrote the proximity principle. Um, that that's a book that could be applied here. Like, do I have to move to Chicago to find good mentors? No. You absolutely do not. There are people, there are firms, there are, you know, there are mentors around you. You just got to find them. So coming from the the other end of that um, dynamic, I'm from a town that I think we have about 600,000 population 
but in in my county wide there are about 100 licensed architects many of them i mean i don't know a good maybe quarter of them probably retired but it's not diverse here and a lot of them are in a certain generation and it and in my area there's a missing generation so there's the older ones and then there's missing and then there's the newer ones in my generation and younger um we're and we're just growing stronger and stronger from from me down but there aren't a lot of <laughs> there there aren't really a lot of architects at all and there aren't a lot of uh mentors in in architecture around here so for me in my area getting involved in AIA let me expand my network so it helped me and i and i and we bring this up how different associations and organizations can help us and how networking can help us AIA did that for me um which i was really glad i think i was the first women owned firm in my town ever and that was just uh, i opened my firm in 2015 so ever <laughs> and i want to say there's six licensed women architects in my county in out of like 100 so there aren't very many women who've gone through what i went through um so recognizing that i am one of the first and we do have a strong group now of women architects even though we are just literally a handful <laughs> like on you know less than two hands there's that many of us but we're strong and we we feel like it's up to us to help to be mentors for those who don't have that who who can't you know just to bring up the next generation and i don't know i just wanted to throw that out there big city small town age place in your career i'm mid career um but i don't know early early to mid career but still firm owner so it puts me in a couple different dynamics right I know that networking is a, a dirty word and an uncomfortable thing for most people, but and it was for me for a long time. But I mean, that's just the, the biggest way is just getting out there and finding you know those those people that need a mentor or want to be a mentor. And whether it's AIA events or you know local universities, community colleges, even I mean, there are even you know just other programs that you can volunteer with. You know, like Project Pipeline through NOMA, they have chapters all over the country. I think most people would be, you know, surprised at how many local programs there are that they can simply volunteer, get out there, put in their put in some time and effort. And that's the way that you meet other people that are like minded. They're also again interested in mentoring or you know finding a mentor that's that's really the best way you know to speak specifically to small firms small firm owners the small firms exchange particularly here in Chicago i think has been great uh, a friend of mine who was the national chair uh Matt Clapper like he just started a slack channel for you know for the local small firms exchange and it's a place where a sole proprietor can hop on there and say geez i could really use help with contracts you know does anybody have any experience with x y and z and i think that you know that's a really great way to knit people together i just believe so much in the power of relationships and networks and they take a long time to build but once they're there it takes very little effort to maintain it or to grow it and 
so I'm, I'm trying to be part of networks, but also grow my own as well. Um, and that's been the biggest benefit of, of Bridge is we have this now 13 year long, you know, network of people who have gone through the program and they're all over the city at, you know, every firm that you could name. And we're all kind of on the same page in one way or another. I still mentor. I mentor as often as much as I can. Um, and I don't feel like it's relegated to people in the older generation, because I know that for me coming up through the profession in my area, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't, they did not mentor. They, 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 there were not very many mentors at all. So, um, so it's up to us to do it, to take that step and to, and to do it. Yeah. One, one of the things that Carl brought up was that a mentor mentee relationship doesn't have to be long-term, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, I think he said it's not like a marriage, um, which I think is a really good point. Maybe especially in an area like you, like what you're describing, much smaller. Well, obviously there are very few places that are larger than Chicago, larger metropolitan areas in Chicago, but um, maybe that becomes the key where it's, okay, well, who's, who's done this, right? Who's a woman architect in my area that has started their own firm? Well, not too many in your area. Um, can I connect with with that person and learn, you know, maybe on a specific topic or a specific context, something like that? Um, and then, you know, maybe maybe next month it's some some other need. Um, you know, I don't know what it is. It's it's someone that's really good at bu building envelope or you know something like that, but. Um, so I thought that was a great piece of advice that Carl had. And, and I think, you know, we had this conversation earlier this week, who's helped you to get to where you are today, uh, because all of us have had help getting to where we are formal or not, you know, did we call them a mentor? Did they consider themselves a mentor or not? And we also had people that brought up the fact that some of the people that helped get them to where they are today were not positive. Um, I don't know what the right way to say that is, but it, it wasn't because they had contributed positively. It was the negativity that sort of drove them to, to prove them wrong or, you know, some version of that, which, you know, I think that's totally legit. I've, I've got that list as well. I can say I've got that list as well, but it makes you stronger. It makes you more aware I don't know. It, it prepares you for the profession. If there's any other way to put it, the profession isn't an easy one anyway, but uh, it does, it does help to have the, those negative interactions. Some people are motivated by that and some are not. So, I mean, it's to each their own there. One thing that Carl brought up that we kind of touched on this morning in our clubhouse conversation were those drop-off points in the in the career there's so many people that start in the architecture like in in school say and then when they graduate then a certain number a certain percentage drop off and then as they proceed through just career progression that when it comes to getting hired at a company after graduation to getting recognized getting put on you know, project teams as a leader or getting promoted or getting up to leadership in the firm or whatever the growth direction is that the numbers drop off and the numbers drop off. Carl did mention this 
after our conversation, but NCARB does this thing called NCARB by the numbers where they do keep track of that data. They do every year and they are doing a pretty good job of it, monitoring and keeping track of the data of minorities and, and gender differences in our profession. And just so we can recognize how we can how we can make it better, how we can improve it. But those drop-off points are significant. And so when we talk about mentorship and uh, the topic that we did this morning on Clubhouse, when is mentorship important in your career? Those points, Carl brought up a very good point. Those points are, are pivot points. Those are the people deciding to stop being in this profession and move on to something else. And if there were a mentor available during that time of struggle, would they stay in? Would they be encouraged to stay in? I don't know. Maybe that is a future Context and Clarity Live topic because I do, I do think that's fascinating, those inflection points. My personal feeling is that, and don't take this the wrong way, it's, it's, this is going to come out wrong, but I don't, I don't ultimately care whether or not they stay in the profession. I care whether they have the guidance to do the thing that's best for them for their career, their family, whatever. Um, there, there are a lot of people that, that celebrated the, uh, the fact there was an article, I forget arc daily or which, whichever publication it was in that, that enrollment in architecture schools is going up and, and, uh, how wonderful that is. And, and I don't, is that good, bad or otherwise? I don't know. And it's, you know, on some level, I don't really care. Um, but well, I, what I will say is that, um, I, I have a unique perspective this semester because for the first time I'm teaching an undergrad section of pro practice where in the past I've only taught the graduate section or, or one of the graduate sections. And so I'm getting some insights into what fourth year architecture students are thinking, what 20, generally 22 year olds are thinking. And uh, I, where I teach enrollment is going up. As I talk to these students, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to probe them for, you know, what are you thinking? What do you think about the future of the profession? Going into a firm, they're going to start their internships. Uh, an internship is is required for graduation, the BARC graduation at uh, Ball State where I teach, and so they're all going to start that in January. And a very large percentage of those students, I would I would put it at seventy percent or more at least want information on alternates to the quote unquote traditional architect role. There are some that flat out say, Hey, I don't, I'm not sure that I want to go into that traditional role, but a very high percentage of them say, I want to know what else is out there. And so when it comes back to those inflection points, obviously for these students, you know, this internship period is probably a first inflection point for them. Graduation in roughly a year and a half uh, with their, their B-ARC will be an inflection point. And then at some point, you know, others down the road. I, I am really concerned that people like them and others that are uh, further ahead in their careers, that they're getting the information that they need. They're getting the guidance, the advice, the mentoring, the whatever, because I, I think that's what's important. I'm with Carl. You know, he, he said at one point, 
um, that there are plenty of people who have decided or, or aren't, you know, whatever that aren't large, a, you know, licensed registered architects that are an important part of the profession. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with him. And I think that's part, I think that's on some levels, I think that's an, a missing part of this conversation that we have about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the profession where we say, and we've had guests before say that they feel that every single person that graduates from architecture school should become a licensed architect. And that that's, if that's their opinion, that's fine. I vehemently disagree with that. Um, I don't know that we need more licensed architects, you know, in large numbers going into the future, but we need people engaged in the profession to do all the things and, and all the things are changing. The roles are changing. The needs are changing. Do they need to be a large A versus a small A? I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. Is that again, I'm back to, is it good, bad, or indifferent? I want them. I want them to have what's best for them and they don't know what they don't know. We're, we're all in that situation, but especially at those inflection points, they don't know what they don't know. And I think that's one of the reasons that we see those huge drop-offs. Maybe dropping off is a good thing for this particular person. Fantastic. Maybe this other person dropped off because they didn't know what they didn't know. No one showed them. No one guided them through that. And it wasn't the best thing for them. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm really glad that you that you brought up the non-traditional path. I've been in leadership positions for emerging professionals for a few years now. And this, this comes up as an idea pushed by the younger generation of professionals that there are other legitimate, respectable paths in the field of architecture that are not the license holding architect, the capital A, that project managers, that spec writers that the researchers that that just the different the different aspects the bim managers the there are other very very respectable you know roles in architecture that broaden and strengthen our profession not everybody needs to be an architect or wants to be an architect just like i think we've had the conversation before owning a firm isn't the end of the game either that's not everyone's path either getting a license doesn't have to be either working in production or working working toward your passion and your gifts and the things that motivate you and inspire you and give you the opportunity to teach others that's what we should be encouraging and so I'm on my little soapbox right now but just us as professionals should be more respectful and recognize those roles as very important and integral into as as a part of the profession that it's not just architect and that's it, that it's everything. Everybody's important. All the roles are important. Uh, I don't know. I'm just really glad that you brought that up because I mean, and then just tying that back into mentorship, finding mentors for people in the other roles in architecture. We did talk about, you know, architects that maybe aren't in leadership positions in their firms. Maybe they're not the principal, you know, being the mentor, but maybe they're just a longstanding 
project architect that has, you know, 15 plus, 20 plus years of experience stepping into the role of uh, being a mentor, but it doesn't even have to be that. It can be any of those other roles we mentioned, project manager, spec writer, any of those could step in and and teach and help encourage and support the non-traditional paths. This is a larger conversation, you know, about what kind of defines an architect, even in a sort of NCARB, you know, licensure sense, what technically defines an architect. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of trying to keep more people, you know, within the umbrella and keep more people within the field and being more inclusive so that they're not feeling like, okay, because I'm not a capital A licensed architect, I'm not, you know, part of the field and I don't get to play with everyone else at the playground. So there are a lot of people too that, you know, I think are great mentors because they're not on that capital A architecture path because they have taken alternate routes and they've navigated that, you know, that period of their career where they had to decide, like, do I want to keep working at a firm? Like, what do I really want to do? How do I get off of this path? How do I start my own practice? Or how do I, you know, get into this other related field? How do I still stay connected to architecture if I want to be? And so those people have really great perspectives, uh, you know, even if that's not some the direction that you're wanting to go. They've, you know, they've had a lot of experience and learned a lot through that process versus just kind of staying on the train and they can be really great mentors. You know, if we, if we think about the future of the profession, the future of your firm, you know, what, who do you need, right? You will never convince me because I know it's not true. (laughs) You'll never convince me that every firm, every hire they make needs to be or or even will be or advertised as a licensed architect. So, you know, if you think about the needs of your firm, and I know that a lot of our audience here are sole practitioners and, and want to continue to be sole practitioners, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. But if we think about what the profession really needs, is it communicators, you know, digital communicators? Um, maybe that's in the form of marketing, maybe it's in the form of rendering, uh, is it technicians building envelope, you know, you can go down the list, like, like you were going spec writers and so on and so forth. How do we encourage people into those roles and how do we bring people up in those particular roles? Um, you know, I, I don't know about other people or other generations, but I do know that in my generation, there were an awful lot of us that graduated thinking that we were somehow going to be designing museums and fire stations and beautiful homes and so on and so forth, only to graduate and find, well, <laughs> for for a lot of my generation, only to graduate and go, oh, wow, there aren't any jobs out here because it's, it's a really bad economic time. Um but hopefully eventually find a job and go, oh yeah, guess what? You know, the, the, the firm that I worked for right out of school had a person in the firm whose title was senior designer. Think about, you know, I think back on it now, think about how many people that graduated from school and thought, oh, I'm going to go be a designer somewhere. And you end up in a firm and there's a senior designer. Is that soul crushing? <laughs> Right. There's, there's like one, and it, he wasn't the only one that designed in the firm, but 
but his his finger was basically on the aesthetic of the firm and uh you know all of the big important projects quote unquote all of that um there are a lot of roles and we need people uh we need people that are happy and are are energized by those roles that's the only way that this continues to work i think it's definitely time for an evolution in our profession uh, and it's it's going to happen well let me ask you this um there's a lot of great takeaways from this conversation with carl and again i would i'd be more than happy to or would have been more than happy if this had gone on for a couple of hours because there are a lot of different directions that we could take this conversation um, but as you think about this conversation, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to apply this? Maybe not necessarily in your firm, but, and I know you're very active in, in AIA and, and with emerging professionals, et cetera. What are you going to do with what we heard in this conversation today? One of my biggest takeaways was Carl's, uh, passion to create programs or create networks, create places for people to engage um, each other. And that's not hard to do. And I already do that. <laughs> I already do that. And I find very much value in in doing that and getting the people together um, and helping other people, encouraging other people and teaching other people how to create the networks might be one of the ways that we move forward in, in creating the, the more casual mentorship relationships that could develop into stronger, stronger, longer relationships, but they don't have to be, but just, um, I feel, I feel inspired by what Carl said to, um, to first participate in the networks, of course, but to create the networks, that's not something that I thought would be a takeaway from this is creating networks, but that's something that he does. And it's not actually that difficult to do. I just want to throw that out there. Um, any of you guys that are listening to this, that it's really just gathering a bunch of people and saying, let's go get drinks. Let's go to the local pub. Let's invite, um, invite your staff, invite your, invite students that you know, that are, that are in the architecture programs. Let's get some people of all phases of the career together in one place and chat and just leave it at that and get people together. They'll start chatting. They'll get to know each other in, in a non-threatening environment, I guess, like not in, you know, in a firm where you're kind of getting trouble if you spend time chatting with anybody else, but like in a social environment, right. Where you can just, you know, talk. Yeah. I think, I think that idea of, of teaching others and, and, and building or developing whatever the right term is, these, these programs, it, it makes me think about, uh, we talk about this in social media a lot, but virality. If we all took that attitude that, that Carl was talking about and that you're talking about now and said, yeah, I can, I can start a, a little program or a little group, you know, it starts out as informal and small and whatever. It, it's, it's that, that same old thing, right? How long would it take for it to go viral? If you were doing it in California and I was doing it, in Indiana and Carl's doing it up in uh, Chicago, which is in Illinois, for those of you that don't know the Midwest. <laughs> and, you know, somebody else does it in in Atlanta, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Pretty, pretty soon, you know, that evolution that you're talking about, maybe, maybe we accelerate that. I think my application from this 
is really going to go back to that class of undergrads that I was going to talk about or that I was talking about because I I think they need to understand and I get it, right? They're in school, they're early 20s, you know, that type of thing. Oh, what do you mean I've got to go out and and talk to professionals? I totally get that. I I have a few memories of of that age, you know. Um but I I think encouraging them and helping them understand there are people out there that that want to help that are available to help and it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be hard. I think that's the first uh place for me to implement what uh, what Carl was talking about. I've got this captive audience <laughs> every, every Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, especially where they are, right. Again, again, they're going to be, um, they either have or are looking for their internship. Um, you know, this is, this is the time for them to really accelerate and, and build their networks. So I, I think, I think that's, that's the application for me, at least immediately. For you out there that's listening, what's the application for you? All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F underscore E-C-H-O-L-S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now. And leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also, now you can follow us on Instagram, as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here backstage again to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today 
at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.